welcome to episode 174 of the Fertility Podcast from my garden, where there's quite a lot of lovely bird song that I think will make a, a nice background for you. There's a bit too much activity going on in my house. There's some DIY, there's some quite loud film watching, so I couldn't go to my normal booth, my voiceover booth, to record this intro and the outro for this podcast, so I've come to the garden. And, um... I don't know what the bird that is. Blue tit, maybe? My bird knowledge is pretty rubbish. Something I'll talk about later, actually, in this episode. So if this is your first listen to the podcast, welcome. This is the last episode of my alternative parenting season for now, where I've tried to speak to people at different stages of their parenting journey that have gone through a whole range of different routes. I've had experts talk about legalities involved, um, counsellors, just trying to give you a really varied overview of the many routes that we, we take to parenthood. If you've been listening for a while, I hope this has been useful. But if this has been your first listen, and maybe you're just starting to ask more questions, do have a look through my previous episodes either via thefertilitypodcast.com or your favourite podcast app. And whilst you're doing that, you can always rate and review this podcast. I love you for doing that. Be sure to follow me on my socials too, at FertilityPoddy on Twitter and Instagram. It's always good to keep in touch and to hear from you. So I hope you've had a good week. I have got some exciting news in that I am in the latest Grazia in the UK talking about infertility in the workplace which is something that I had to I've talked about on this podcast before but I had to work my way through whilst doing a live breakfast show um, having my my IVF treatment whilst I was on air not literally obviously but having to work my way around all the appointments and the scans which was a challenge and it's something that I wanted to make people aware of what we have to go through and it's something that I'll be talking about more on this podcast. A number of you have been contacting me on my socials telling me about your experiences and please continue to. You can drop me an email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com or those social channels at fertilitypoddy on Twitter or Insta or a good way of getting in touch. I'm going to be talking about this at the Fertility Show in Manchester happening this weekend again. All the details of that will be on the show notes for this episode, along with details of the event I'm hosting that evening with a group of fab ladies called Talk Fertility. So have a look. So we're going to be hearing from two ladies in this episode. Becky, who's on Instagram as at Defining Mum. Becky had her family using donor eggs. And I wanted to talk to her about that point where she had to accept that that was going to be the route she took and how that felt. We're also going to speak to Mel Johnson about her decision to be a solo mum, how it's been for her over the last year. I spoke to Mel previously about the decision to go down the solo motherhood route. I'll share that episode, but this is about the realities of what it's like, because I wanted to give you that point of view as well. So two ladies coming up, but before that... Before we start the show, I want to tell you a little bit about my sponsors who make what I do possible. They um, support the podcast and I always try to find people who I think are relevant to you along your journey with helpful products and services available for you. So first up is a new sponsor called Assured Fertility and here's Holly to tell you more about them. My name's Holly and I'm the patient and clinic liaison manager here at Assured Fertility. 
We spent the last three years working with academics and top fertility clinics in the UK and abroad with our focus to simplify the IVF process for you and provide support and guidance throughout your journey. We provide a range of 100% refund IVF plans, so if you don't have a baby through the Assured plan, we will refund everything you've paid. This, of course, is subject to the terms of your agreement with us. So let me explain a little bit about how our packages work. We have three plans available, our IVF plan, our combined plan, and our egg donor plan. Absolutely all of our plans include all consultations, screening, medication, everything you need for your treatment is included, and there's no hidden charges whatsoever. We want you to have as smooth and stress-free experience as possible. We work with a number of clinics throughout the UK and abroad, and we are able to offer payment plans to you which is subject to acceptance. So we're gonna be at the Fertility Show in Manchester on the 23rd and 24th of March so it'd be great for you to come down and meet with us and the exciting news is that we'll also be launching our new plan which we'll be more than happy to tell you about. To find out more about us visit assuredfertility.co.uk The Fertility Podcast is also sponsored by Apricity, a virtual clinic of a new kind. Apricity offers first class fertility care as unique as you. Get support from your Apricity advisor seven days a week Stay in the know with the app's guidance and reminders. Customise your journey at no extra cost. Apricity is fertility care your way. Find out more at apricity.life forward slash podcast. This podcast is sponsored by International Andrology, who specialise in diagnosing and treating male infertility. Around 50% of infertility issues are male factor, and all too often, men aren't even evaluated at the start of a fertility journey which might result in unnecessary treatments, costs, and disappointment. International Andrology is one of the few specialist clinics in the UK, offering a holistic approach to increase your chances to conceive naturally or via the IVF route. As well as treating the underlying causes of male infertility, their doctors have some of the highest success rates in microsurgical sperm retrieval. So, if you're looking for a true specialist to assist you on your fertility journey, visit london-andrology.co.uk today and do mention the Fertility Podcast. So I'm now going to check in with Becky, who is on Insta as Defining Mum, because I was really keen to capture some of Becky's story. She's got a really brilliantly concise and insightful blog, and I want to direct you there because I'm going to pick up kind of further down Becky's journey. But first of all, Becky, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, I confess this is our second time. time. <laughs> this is our second time because I didn't hit save when I spoke to Becky the other day and we had this lovely chat so I'm being really apologetic and I'm sorry for being a time waster I really am not a problem I enjoyed chatting so that's no no problem at all Becky has been sharing her journey on her insta and getting like an amazing response after she's been really openly talking about the decision to use a donor to have her family and I wanted to kind of get Becky's feelings about having to get your head around that because you can You can read how she's documented what happened before. And when we spoke last time, Becky, I was quite amazed at how you've been documenting for not very long, only since we're talking March 2019. You only started really at the end of last year and you're just doing it from memory, aren't you? Yes, yes. So I didn't actually write much down when we were going through it all, but I'd always wanted to share the story. And and so I kind of managed to get down the key things that happened and everything really came flooding back. So um yeah, I started in November when it was Fertility Week. I thought that was a good week to launch and um, haven't looked back really. It's taken off way more than I thought it would. And it's just been so rewarding just to see how many people have, have contacted me to say it's really helped them. Well, it shows how many people, sadly, 
are, are possibly in the same boat. Becky was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. Anything with the word failure in it is just an awful diagnosis. It's horrible, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Yes, it is, yeah. When you, you're diagnosed with infertility, the last word you want to hear is failure because that's something that I think we all feel a bit, that our, our bodies have failed us. So when it's included in the diagnosis, it really doesn't help with the emotional side of dealing with things. Because with that, were you pretty much told that your only option was fertility treatment and get on with it as soon as possible? Or was there any other, you could try this holistic method, you could try look at this for a bit, change this in your lifestyle, or was it, no, you've got to have treatment? No, it was pretty much you've got to have treatment, so... Um, um, when I finally had the diagnosis, I pretty much self-diagnosed myself actually after having hormones tested and GPs getting things wrong. But by the time I saw a consultant, um, his response was, you need to start IVF right away now if you want to try and use your own eggs. I was always told that I'd have age on my side because I was only 28 at the time. And so we were literally thrown within a period of six weeks from diagnosis into our first IVF cycle. And we went through five cycles um, before we moved to donor eggs first cycle was actually successful so um, I became pregnant but sadly sadly lost that at eight weeks I had a missed miscarriage so um, I think in a way at first I thought it was easier than I thought because I'd, I'd got pregnant and that was it and then I just assumed that would happen again so in a way I think that probably delayed my decision to use a donor because I kept thinking well it's happened once I'm sure it can happen mm. again so a lot of things mess with your mind and I think I've been asked quite a few times by people how do you know when it's the right time? And it's such an individual decision. And I would never say that I had a, a light bulb moment where I suddenly thought, right, this is it, we've got to move. But you get to a point where you weigh things up and you, and you start to think about what you really want and you start to think about the impact that the journey is having on you. And for us, after those five cycles, both emotionally and financially, we were struggling and we'd spent a hell of a lot of money throwing it at my eggs. I was losing faith in my own body. And we kept being told that we would have probably a 50% chance if we used donor eggs. And then it was at that point I started to think about, okay, what do I really want? And, and what I really wanted was to be a mum. And, and then I started to sort of process in my mind, okay, what would that mean being a mum through using donor eggs? And it would mean I can still carry. It would mean I can still influence that child whilst I'm growing the child. And it means I can be with them from the very second that they were born and they would be 100% mine. And, and and I wanted to be a mum and I wanted all those day-to-day -day things. And that's when I really started to suddenly change my feelings and start to feel a bit more excited about the idea. And that was probably about 12 to 18 months after I was first diagnosed. And what about your other half? Was it as straightforward with him deciding that this was going to be the way you were going? Not really, no. So at first, Matt was pretty against the idea. He didn't seem to warm to the idea when we were first told that donor would be our, our best option. And we were told right from the beginning that um, donor would be the better option, but we decided to, to give our eggs a go. Um, and I remember having a really, really difficult conversation. And, and it is a, it's a tough thing that can happen in, in a relationship when, when one of you is infertile and the other one is fertile and you suddenly feel that you're letting the other person down. I remember saying to him, what if I need to use donor eggs? And, and he wasn't keen on the idea at the time. And I suddenly started to consider, oh my God, if he doesn't want to do this and that's my only option to have a child, what does this mean? And mm. it was a pretty big question. But I mean, he, after we went through the cycles, he s started to come around to the idea as well. And and actually, when we first um, embarked upon getting some um, a, a consultation for, um, for using donor eggs, um, I had a bit of a wobble myself, and we kind of switched roles. And Matt then became the one who supported me through that. And, uh, and now today, I mean, he's delighted we took that decision. And 
Um, he always says um, we've got a much more interesting story than your average uh, conception. Um, and yeah, I think we just we both needed to sort of almost go through that process in our own way, um, but with each other. And yeah, eventually, obviously, it's led to three beautiful girls and we wouldn't change it now. I mean, it's such an unknown. And you talked about now having three children. We can hear, I think, one, maybe two of them in the background. Yes. <laughs> One's napping. Is that right? We've got one napping, two awake still. So, yeah, we were, I've just put one of the twins down. So my twins are one year old, Eska and Lena. So Eska's just gone down for a nap and I'm hoping she'll go. Lena is still awake with my mum in the next room, um, who hopefully will be going down for a nap again soon. And my two and a half year old is up, supposed to be napping. But as I came to speak to you, she was still sat up in bed. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to go. <laughs> but yeah, three well, under three. Thrifty. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. But I thought we'd try and get this in. <laughs> exactly. Because some of the points that Becky has already raised, I think, are, are really important about the kind of the pressure that this decision puts on you. It's a complete unknown to to have to get your head around the fact that you're not going to be able to use your own eggs is one thing. To then have that conversation with your other half and all that that you've just described. Because I know when we spoke last time, I said about a friend of mine who, when they'd had failed treatment three rounds and they were talking about donor eggs, she uh, something that I'd brought up from the kind of knowledge I had, she said that her husband was adamant that that wasn't the route that they were going and and fortunately she had success with her own eggs but that's such a hard conversation to try and work out the what ifs isn't it absolutely and and I honestly I at the time I didn't know how I would feel if if he was to block that option for me if that had been the only option he wasn't um wanting that option that would have been a huge thing for me to process but I mean obviously thankfully we didn't get to that that position I think where we were I mean we'd never really known anyone who'd struggled with infertility before we did ourselves and and so there's one thing finding out about all of that world but then there's the whole donor conception world and and one of the reasons I wanted to start the blog and share the story is because the the whole concept when I first heard about it I, seemed totally alien to me I didn't even realize that people actually donated eggs and and people um, received them and and then grew babies from them and so it was just I had to start from scratch and and one of the things I really struggled to find as I was trying to process things and and work out whether this was an option for me was some really positive um, stories out there with where I could really see the reality of, of life as a family after using donor eggs and I'm a very visual person I like to see things I like to connect with people and and it was only through um, searching in forums, asking loads of questions a few years ago that I actually found someone um, who became very important to me in my journey, um, a lady who um, has a little boy um, through donor eggs and she supported me through um, the whole thing really. Um, never once said to me, do it, use donor eggs. She just let me decide in my own time. Um, but through seeing the relationship she had with her son, I became to realise that actually it really didn't matter and if anything they had a stronger bond than I'd seen between most families and um it just gave me that reassurance that life didn't have to be any different um obviously there are some challenges that will come across that other people necessarily won't have to such as um having those conversations about how um the girls came to be but we're, we've decided we're going to be 100% open right from the outset so that from the very beginning um they know it's it's not a secret, it's not something we're ashamed of, we're actually incredibly proud of how we came to to have them. Um, and so, yeah, I think what I wanted to do was try and give people that, that positive reality that they could connect with and hopefully then sort of see themselves in a few years' time being able to have, have that same uh, happiness that we've got now. 
And when you saw it first time with that lady and you saw the relationship, did it feel like a weight had lifted that all of those worries, there was no substance to them because you could purely see that it was just this loving relationship. It didn't really matter the origins it's just what you see in front of you yeah absolutely absolutely and, and all of those sort of doubts I had in my mind about I mean I'm sure and most people that have contacted me have similar sort of um, doubts that I once had around oh, so they won't necessarily look like me will people be looking at me and my my child and thinking oh she's obviously not their mum and, and that has never once happened and actually people always see what they want to see but seeing my um now she's a good friend of mine uh with um her little boy there was there was no question that they were mother and son um you could just tell and he looks like his dad as do most children uh, the girls look so much like Matt um and most people like I say will see what they want to see I've had several people say to me oh yeah I think Esker's much more like you um but that doesn't bother me as much as I thought it would. I think at the beginning it was, it seemed to be a lot about looks and how that would factor in. Um, but actually I can see how the girls in personality, particularly Mina, my eldest is more like me. Um, and she spends much more time with me. So, uh, I've, I'm now a stay at home mum, um, looking after the girls and, uh, and I can see how my personality and, and the way I speak and, um, my sense of humour has all sort of rubbed off on Mina and my sister-in-law um, often comments to say that, um, oh my God, that is just so you, what Mila has just said, that is just you. And and it, it's really heartwarming to, to see when um, people do see that, that connection and they can see how actually nurture over nature is something, it's real. Um, and I think I've, I've mentioned before epigenetics as part of my, uh, my blog, I did a short post on it, but... Um, if anyone's looking into donor eggs, have a read of epigenetics because it's fascinating to see how if that same embryo that I had inside of me was put back inside the donor, that child wouldn't be the exact identical copy of um, Mila, for example. So the way in which I carried her and, and the expression of the genes um, throughout my womb actually had an impact on, on which genes were turned up, turned down, um, and how our genes were expressed. So I just find that fascinating that actually that individual is created because of a very kind lady, an egg donor, my husband, and also me. And I gave that child life. And then that's what I think I really started to realise that actually I was still the one giving life from right from that very beginning. From day five as an embryo, they were with me. Um, and And... I found comfort in that as well. The epigenetic side is fascinating and I have got an upcoming episode with a brilliant uh, functional medicine practitioner, Angela Heap, who knows loads about it. And it is mind-boggling to know what can turn on and turn off and how supplements can have an impact and all that kind of thing. That's another conversation. Because one of the other things that's happened um, as a result of Becky hearing an episode that I shared at the start of this alternative parenting season with the brilliant Jana Rupno, who is a counsellor herself working with couples and individuals going through donor conception, is... Becky and Jana are now working together. So tell me a bit about that conversation and what you're hoping to do because it's one of the reasons that I like to do what I do is I love connecting the dots for people and I love that you two are speaking. Yeah, it was a few weeks ago I listened to, to the first episode of your alternative parenting series and um, it was with Jana 
and I, I found myself, I was sat in, I was in the car uh, with the girls and I found myself almost in tears as I listened to it because the way in which she spoke, particularly about the grief that you go through when you're having to come to terms with not having your own genetic child, it resonated with me so much that I just, I just found myself, I haven't listened to it twice actually because I just had to hear her words again and I realised that I'd been going around saying, and almost lightening what I'd been through by saying, look, I, what I felt was almost grief. It was almost like grief. When actually it was grief and it was layers and layers of grief that, that had happened over a, a period of time where not only had I had to accept that I wasn't going to have my own genetic child, I'd still had the disappointments every month, the loss from the miscarriage. Um, and it, what it did was really validate how I'd been feeling. And so um, I posted about it because I thought it was a really... Um, interesting point to share and on the back of that Jana got in touch with me and we started talking and one of the things I wanted to talk to her about was um, anonymity and that's something that does still play on my mind after um, having mm. the girls through a donor in Prague and and we got talking and we said look I think there's something we can do with this because we've both got the same aims and uh, we're both really passionate and I, I just really think that by having the combination of my own experience and and sort of still processing feelings but also having recently been through the grief but then the happiness that follows and with Jana's experience and um, the way in which she can almost validate how we've been feeling and talk about it in terms of not necessarily how you should feel but but that it's, it's perfectly normal to feel in those ways and and having that together we thought we could really help people so we've, we've got a series um, that starts the 19th which is an insta live series and we're going to be talking about the emotional decisions that are part of donor conception. So the first one we're, we're talking about is grief and actually making that decision to use a donor. And we've been asking people to send us questions. So we'll be focusing on those that have um, asked the questions and hopefully try and make it as interactive as possible. The future series will be around um, parental attachment concerns. So will I bond with the child? Um, and then the last one will be around sharing the story with the child. So whether or not you're going to tell. So yeah, hopefully it will be really, really useful for people and, and who knows what the future holds uh, later down the line. But um, the collaboration is really exciting and something that I hadn't envisaged doing when I started the, um, the blog. But so many things have come out of it that uh, hopefully uh, will help many people. We'll put all the details of A, the chat that I did with Jana and B, what they're going to be doing Becky and Jana and how you can follow because as as Becky's saying uh, as well as being a, a full-time mom and managing what is a growing blog and insta um, community you're also you've created these fertility support Saturdays which I just want to mention before I let you go because I noticed them popping up and how you've got different people on Instagram involved and if you're listening to this and you're not on Instagram for whatever reason it's fine but if you are and you haven't yet uh, it's fine get me it's fine you're not on Instagram <laughs> if it's not your social media platform Come of join choice, us. because there are many well this is the thing because I was speaking to someone the other day who didn't even realize about the community the trying to conceive community uh, on Instagram and it's immensely powerful in what's kind of evolved and Fertility Support Saturday is an example so do you want to just explain what you've created and what you're doing with that? It started this was just before Christmas and one of the things I was trying to think about was how we can better share our stories and and how I could almost get my story out there as well more to, to help and those people that that needed to hear and I sent a message to a few of the ladies on Instagram that are, are quite active so uh, 
uh, Alice Rose, um, Kat as trying years and, and a few other really inspirational ladies and just said, look, is there a way in which we can share our stories to try and reach as many people as possible as a way of helping them? And, and we started off by just sharing each other and then we decided that we could do a bit more and um, we did an Ask Us Anything week. So we all have in our highlights reel the videos from that still. So if anyone wants to go and check out some of the questions that we were asked, mine are mainly around donor conception. Um, we've saved all of those. And then the next stage of evolution was almost to look down the, the line of the power of sharing and, and involving everybody else within the community. So um, what I wanted was to give a platform for people to be able to share their story. And it's a short bio and a, a picture, which can be anonymous if they prefer um, and it just gives a chance for people to connect with others who might be going through similar um, things that they're going through because infertility is vast there's so many different um, diagnoses so many different treatments that actually you might want to find someone who's been through something similar to you or might have a similar experience that you could support or, or you could gain um, some insight into so every Saturday I share 10 um, profiles uh, through my stories and then they're also saved on my highlights reel so if anyone wants to go and have a browse through and connect with um, some people they they can do that and uh, I've still got um, people coming through now so I think we're about five weeks into it now so hoping soon we'll hit the hundred mark and uh, and it'll just keep keep running and um, people have been really excited I've had some fantastic feedback and uh, I'm hoping that um, it will continue and, and it will evolve, evolve further. It's brilliant and it's really lovely to see and it's amazing what's kind of created I mean don't know how much time it takes for you to be spending on Insta, but it um, it's definitely worthwhile and it's amazing what you've managed to create. Thank you, thank you. I've got a process now, so I'm getting. <laughs> it's not taking me as long each week to pull them you've together. Got a system. But, uh, yes, I've got a system in place now. The first week took quite a while, but but yeah, if anybody does want to be involved, then um, they can contact me. Um, I think you're going to put my details at the end of the, the show notes. So um, yeah, yeah. Then just send me a message because I'm I'm open to receiving any stories and in particular if we've got anyone from a um, background that's that's not so widely shared so um, we're looking for a bit more diversity and um, sort of show people that they're not alone so um, I've had some some ladies come forward recently um, who I'm going to be sharing and, and some people who were very bravely taking those first steps to share um, and have felt really empowered by doing so so it, it's great to be able to give people that platform to do so. If someone wants to share and you've just talked about getting more diversity and maybe they're in a community where infertility really isn't spoken about obviously we're talking about a visual platform but is it fair to say that you could send a picture of something and you could write about yourself without actually saying your name? Absolutely yeah so that's that's why I love Instagram so much because people can be as, as involved or as visible as they like but yeah I've got actually one I'm sharing this week um, a lady from the Asian community who didn't want to share a photo of herself but she shared a, um, a lovely picture um, of some flowers and that is fine because actually what's yeah. the important bit is what's in the um, in the bio that people will connect to and um, I'm hoping that she will be inspiring others um, from from that background to, to also come forward and talk and feel that like they're not alone and that there are others that are, are experiencing the same thing. So it's just being able to facilitate that connection, really, that it's what it's all about. Because that is the beauty of Instagram to a point. Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's why I love Instagram so much, because people can be as, as involved or as visible as they like. But yeah, I've got actually one I'm sharing this week, um, a lady from the Asian community who didn't want to share a photo of herself, but she shared a, um, a lovely picture um, of some flowers. And that is fine, because actually what's... Yeah. The important bit is what's in the um, in the bio that people will connect to, and um, I'm hoping that she will be inspiring others um, 
from from that background to to also come forward and talk and feel that like they're not alone and that there are others that are, are experiencing the same thing so it's just being able to facilitate that connection really that it's what it's all about yeah well like becky said we'll put all the details in the show notes do go and check them out and get in touch thank you becky for sharing and do go and check out becky's blog to read what happened kind of up until that point that we picked up on which was quite far into Becky's journey I'm going to let you go and um, see your little ladies and um, look forward to seeing the series with Jana and good luck with it fantastic yes thanks very much Natalie all of Becky's details will be on the show notes and now it's time to catch up with Mel my name's Mel I am 40 years old I have an 11 month old Daisy she's just about to turn one Um, and I had her using IVF with a donor sperm um, which makes me a solo mum. Now Mel and I have spoken before and I will share the story of Mel's decision process and how it was choosing the donor and all that in in the show notes because one of the reasons I wanted to include Mel in this alternative parenting series was talking about the realities of being a solo mum now that she's nearly a year into it and all the things that she's learned and had to consider because I think it's a really good thing if you are looking to go down this route to, to know the realities of what life is actually going to be from somebody who's living it and Mel's now doing a lot of work to help other women so let's start at that point of I've put it as redefining yourself because you've become a mum and now you, you you have got to navigate your way through and it is just you so Tell me some of the kind of initial things that you you found really tricky to just manage. Yeah, and I think this this conversation is so important because I think we do tend to see the glossy version um, and I think it is really good to, to also discuss the reality of it so people know what they're letting themselves in for. So... Um, I think it um, it has been definitely a journey and a roller coaster. Um, some of the things that I have found difficult, um, it it is the loneliness is definitely one thing. So I would probably say lack of adult company. Um, I have when I was on maternity leave, having Daisy for the full day, doing childcare all day, um, and and learning to be a mum. You know, it was new in the beginning. Um, and then going into um, the evening routine, bath, bed, and I make that sound very straightforward, as we all know, sometimes that can take a considerable amount of time and effort. Um, and it was that period, and I'm sure all mums have this, but it's that period where you've done the whole day, you've bathed them, you've got them to sleep, and you're like, yes, and then you come back downstairs the bathroom's trashed, so you need to go and tidy that up. The kitchen's trashed from making dinner, you've got to go and sort that out. There's toys everywhere, you've got to go and tidy them up. And then finally, you can sort of get on to you and, and make sure that you're eating and have your life. And then there's silence in the house. There's no other adults there. There's no adult company. There's no one to chat to about your day or how it's been. There's no one to help you tidy up. Um, And if that goes on night after night after night, it can become very lonely. And that's not to mention that you then haven't got a social life. So, you know, you might want to actually go out and socialise. So I, for a period of time, and it happened to me as I was going back to work, actually, I found that um, after I'd done a day at work and then done the evening routine, um, those evenings um, I did start to feel lonely and I worked out some things to put in place 
um, to try to stop that from happening. And I, I, it is a world of difference now. Um, so, so what, what are some examples of what you did? So the main thing is organisation. So I now book my diary so far in advance. Um, so have things planned. If you leave it to chance, it won't happen. Uh, like social things with your friends. So anything. So um, social things, work things, anything that I want to do, book it in advance and figure out where it best fits mm. in. But one of the massive things I've had to do, and this is just a mindset change, um, I have to ask people, I have to organise things. So I realised that I was deselecting myself from things um, because I thought I'd be putting people out or people wouldn't want me to tag along as I was thinking it because, you know, I'm on my own. Um, And actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. And what I've realised is lots of people love me joining or me and Daisy joining. And so now, looking at the diary in advance and saying, what things can Daisy and I do with other people? And what opportunities have I got to to do stuff and to socialise? I'm in a very lucky situation where my mum looks after Daisy every Friday and um, so every Thursday night, my mum stays at mine. Thursday night is my sacred, what am I going to do with my Thursday night? So absolutely, last night was Thursday and I went out for dinner. And it's making the most of that precious time being organised. How would you want to fill any spare minute that you sort of got for yourself? I mean, there's definitely an element I feel in the way that I conduct my social life with with. with my son in that I have a partner but he works the hours that he works and then we'll come home and want to sleep for example yeah. and I want to do so so I think there's definitely that element of as a parent having that in place but like you've brilliantly kind of just highlighted you're responsible for it entirely on your own yeah. aren't you and I mean I think a lot of women will be the organisers anyway yes um whether you're in a relationship or not so it's just making sure like you say that you you, you carry things on going because you do lose you, you do lose your identity and you do lose I don't know like you can't remember when you used to last the last time you went out dancing and yeah. you know all these kind of things that you have to kind of and make it's, a point it, of. I really feel like I reached a turning point where um I just felt more like myself and um and I really embraced that so I like to call 2018 the year of the tracksuit so um <laughs> for me I was just grabbing whatever was comfortable and did not focus at all on my appearance and it started to actually have a negative impact on me and at a period of time I thought I actually need to do something about this so now I get up put some makeup on, do my hair and choose something nice to wear. And it can sound like a small thing, but for my mental health, that makes a massive difference. Um, and again, relevant for all mums, I think that's no difference of being a solo mum. But that mental health element to it, you don't realise how much, not saying that you should always take pride in your appearance, yeah, but, but simple things like that yeah. can make such a difference. And when you work for yourself and if you're working from home, you can fall into that pattern that, as well. That was p- definitely part of the problem. I work from home, so the vast majority of the time my office is my dining room and now it doesn't matter. I'm still up in my work clothes because that puts my head in a different yeah, space and it makes me tackle sure. the day in a different way. Whilst we're talking about work and kind of organising, um, let's talk about kind of productivity because I know it doesn't just apply to your social life does it no no definitely not so productivity is my uh, sort of number one specialist subject Uh, I love trying to be more productive so what I do is it's very much about 
what works well at what time. So I have a period of time when Daisy's at nursery, I have a period of time when we're together and I have a period of time on my own when she's asleep. And I really plan what should I be doing with all of those different times? What can I multitask? Um, what can I ask someone else to do? So it doesn't, I don't do it by chance. I've really planned it and it just has started falling into place so well with me. And as Daisy gets a bit older, what I found is I can involve her in more things. What's really made a difference now is that we tidy up together as we go. So when I come down, I haven't got the whole house to do. And she enjoys it. She loves loading the dishwasher. She does, she's not much of a help. But, you know, you can make a game out of some of these things. And, and she really enjoys that. So I've kind of started, um, yeah, following my day around as I go and making sure that I haven't got a big thing to do afterwards but it's really it's also about where you've got your energy so I know I'm super productive in the morning and much less so at night so if I've got something I really need to get done I need to do it in the morning um, but also again going back to asking for help there's some stuff I don't need to do um, uh, I have you know my mum is a huge support and sometimes I, I have to say you know could you help me with this at first I definitely was being a hero um, and um, and there's, there's, a, there's a model I like to use called the victim triangle. Um, if you try to be a hero, quite often when you don't succeed with that, you can go a bit into victim. And I was a bit, you know, you can start feeling sorry for yourself. And, and where you need to get it to is um, more of a, you know, thinking logically, what do I need to do here? And how can I ask for the help that I need? So, um, yeah that's hard for me. I think a lot of people find it hard. And particularly when you're a solo mum, you have signed up for this on your own. Asking people for help, you sometimes feel, well, I can't, I went into this knowing I was going to do it on my own. So now why am I entitled to ask for help? No matter how you go into motherhood, I think everyone um, can ask for help if they need it. And I really would encourage well, that. Whether you're a parent or not, you can ask for help. Exactly. So why wouldn't you? Exactly. You know, that's what your yeah. friends are for. That's what your family yeah. are for. You just kind of put yourself in this. Like you say, the, the victim, whatever model, you yeah. do, the hero model or whatever. Yeah. You, you, you make this kind of self-fulfilling like prophecy almost yeah. that you have to achieve all this stuff and, and it doesn't necessarily pan out as yeah. you'd as you'd hoped and then you drive yourself mad as a result exactly now you talked about the point of going back to work being quite a significant one how was that transition and going back to work and and then telling everybody in your day-to-day -day life you know your now new identity as a parent yeah uh, so I the anxiety about going back to work was so much greater than the reality so I think that's the first thing um I I was much more anxious than than really needed to be uh, it was actually really a smooth transition for me I'm very lucky my company is super supportive um so we had conversations prior to me going back about what I needed I think it is that's advice I would give to people, really say from a starting point of what you need and they can only say no, but at least ask for, you know, reach for the stars and then let's see what you get from there. So my company were really supportive and I can be quite, work quite flexibly, which is great. Um, again, back to my mental health, it's been really good for me to have, you know, to use my brain in a different way. And now my interactions with Daisy are just so meaningful and valuable. And then I have some time to, to, to do the work thing and use my brain. That's been great. 
um, I've transitioned back more quickly than I thought I would. Um, I'm very lucky I only work four days a week, so I have that fifth day um, as you know time time to, to play <laughs> if you like. So yeah, it's been it's not been as hard as I thought, but a lot of it is down to uh, my company being supportive, and I think I had a role in that in terms of defining what I needed to be successful. What about the conversations that you have about being a, a solo mum? How are they working out? And are there stumbling blocks that you found? Are there now little um, sound bites that you have in place? That, that is exactly what I do. So I've got it just down to a fine art about, I do find maybe not on a daily basis, but on a very regular basis, I, I do have to tell people because everyone presumes you've got a partner and, and there's so many examples where people refer to your partner. So just thinking about some recent examples, someone came to fit my boiler and he was saying, you know, if you want to tell your partner X, Y or Z. And I was like, hey, if I had a partner, no, why would I want oh, I to tell him? But, <laughs> exactly. But but I said, oh, no, I haven't got a partner. And people look shocked because they've seen my daughter there. Mm. And, you know, they can see she's quite young. And I said, no, no, I've chosen to have her on my own. So t- for someone like a builder, I would just say, you know, no, I've chosen to have her on my own. For somebody who I want to give a bit more of an explanation to, I would say, oh, I chose to have her on my own because, you know, I'm 40. And I thought if I don't do something on my own I might lose out on the opportunity of motherhood and honestly that sort of one sentence is enough then some people are really interested and they say do you mind if we ask you a bit more about it and I absolutely don't Um, and some people just that's enough for them and they leave it at that Um, so I always advise people to just get you know exactly what you said a soundbite that they're comfortable with I tend to really say it up front because I think it makes situations easier than then later down the line having to try to explain um, to people. And um, I've had an absolutely positive um, response to it. But it is interesting how many people come from the presumption that you have a partner. Nursery, um, everyone I interact with, they, they, they refer to the partner. Well, also in even just talking about that, that you have decided to have that line ready or we've just talked about having that line ready because of how society does perceive women on their own with children they'd assume that you did have a partner rather than what you've just now explained which is almost it's more empowering than I suppose to say as you do no I've made this decision yeah and that and that is why I do that because I don't want anyone to think um that I am stuck in this circumstance if you like rightly or wrong I mean it doesn't matter but that's just my preference that people know I went into it choosing that yeah Yeah, it was the choice yeah so um as far as the kind of day-to-day we've talked about how you've redefined your time and you've asked for help and how you're kind of talking about it to others um this presumption of there being a partner is 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 part of it do you feel then that there are more far-reaching circumstances about telling your story, like your extended family or people that you're interacting with in a more important um, way than your, your builder or the nursery? Are there different tools then as far as how you tell your story? Yeah, so for me, um, obviously I, I work with women who are also going through the journey of solo motherhood. So I, one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is helping other people in this same situation um, 
you know, frame how best to tell their story. Um, I am, I think in our last conversation, I said I'm a bit of an oversharer. So I found it very easy to tell everybody that I interacted with. And I was very open and actually told a lot of my story because it's something I'm very proud of. Um, I help people to reframe that, to come, try to come to that same place because some people start off feeling anxious about it and actually if you do feel proud about it it's much easier to tell your story you're actually excited to tell it so um I've told anybody really um, and, and everybody who who I interacted with um was very honest and was guided by them a little bit about how interested they were in it and how much they wanted to know for me it's about how you feel about it and because I feel hugely proud and positive it's it's not a problem at all for me to share now you just used the word guide and I think this is something that you and I have spoken about not uh, off the record so to speak um, and it's something actually I was talking about with uh, people recently about this idea that I call them of guide parents um, which is a, a kind of idea that friends in Brighton uh, shared with me when they weren't having godparents they were having guide parents for their, their children and they were asking their friends at like a ceremony to come forward with skills that they'd share and I know we spoke about it um, and there was a I think something that I've seen that you shared on, on social media about a friend who you were getting like a male friend that you were getting on board was it to teach Daisy to ride a bike or yeah. so just talk a bit about that mindset of of looking at maybe the skills that you haven't got or you don't enjoy and if you've got friends um, male or female that um, could fill those gaps that you can kind of extend the parenting yeah so, so somebody once asked me the question have you got someone that you're sort of substituting um that that partner role with and what I said is no there's absolutely not one person there's many people and I'm really lucky that I've got some awesome people in my life um, and as much as I like to think that I've got the right answer for everything um, you know I'm really aware that I've got one view and there's lots of different views and I want to make sure that Daisy's exposed to lots of different views um, so th for me it's split into two it's it, it's it's about views and just being you know influenced by people and then there's a practical things as well so the the example I gave was swimming you know I'm not great at swimming I don't particularly enjoy swimming and I don't want that to rub off on onto Daisy and so I asked one of my male friends who loves swimming I'd love it if you could you know take Daisy swimming I think it would be bonding for you and she'd really benefit from it and I was surprised by how keen he was and it made me realise, um, I've asked friends, male and female, um, you know, could you um, guide her on X, Y or Z? Um, you know, one of my friends goes climbing and he said he'd take her when she, she's old enough and, um, you know, lots of different things. And Daisy will benefit from all of those different influences. And I was speaking to one of the girls I was coaching um, on the same situation and, you know, we were saying, actually everyone could could benefit from this but because we are anxious that there's maybe um, a role model missing we've spent the time thinking about it so actually our children will probably really benefit from from this because they have loads more influences in their lives and and people love being asked that's what I found so it gives them a real sense of pride that you um, you know, that you want to ask them to be that role model on that area. I think it's a lovely thing for you with your friends as well, whether you're a, a solo parent or like you just said, because we've got some friends and when our little boy turned one, they sent him a membership for the RNIB 
and every time they see him they give him a bird related book and they're really into birds and they've kind of taken it upon themselves to be his bird guide as we're now calling them Um, but in the same vein you know if they're I've got other friends that are quite good with their gardening knowledge uh, little bits and bobs you'd quite like your child to have I think you can I think we can all do it and I think it's a then it's a shared I think especially from my point of view as well um, being and and it's probably something that again is relevant with with you in that if you are probably only going to have one child, then again you're really aware to give them as much um, grounding and and as an information for them to decide what it is and isn't isn't that they're into if exactly. they're not going to have a, a sibling. Maybe that's guilt, but maybe it's just thinking more about it because you have the time to think about the rounded picture for that child's upbringing exactly and I I think again while if when I've got one child I also don't want them to just be massively influenced by me I want them to have a variety of influences um you know so they have a a a wider view of the world as they're growing up so yeah I think it's a really nice thing to do for everyone involved really yeah now the the reality of the situation is you are on your own in this situation and I know that it's something that you've had to think about seriously and sensibly and you've had to think about the what if scenario so just talk to me about that and how that's felt and what it is that you're kind of looking at. I would say it's probably one of the biggest anxieties I've got and um, I guess it's an ego thing because you think you know if I'm not here life won't be as good Um, so what I I really spent a lot of time considering what would happen if I wasn't here Um, I haven't formalized it I am going through that process at the moment of putting a will in place and putting all of the you know the formal requests Um, and I have asked a friend um, who again was just so honoured and flattered that I would think of of her. Um, I thought about who would bring my daughter up in the most similar way to me, who has the most similar values and who from their point of view also could do it in their life, you know, someone who hasn't already got three children or, or whatever, you know, so someone who I thought would be able to take that that role on if they needed to, um, had the conversation with her. And it's really nice now looking at her relationship with Daisy because I think, you know, it, it, again, it, it really improves the bond. Um, I know it's something that people don't want to think about and it's easy to sort of put it to something you need to do later um but for me it was just really important that that had been considered um so that I know things are in place if the worst the worst case scenario happens how would you say that this experience has changed you because in the time I've known you and the more I've learned about you a a, a very independent woman you've done a lot of traveling you work in a a, a high-powered corporate career and you've gone down this road very proudly and now you're working to help other women and are on a mission to spread the word about what support there is how you don't have to be stuck in a rut helping people change their mindsets from the corporate point of view even to the kind of healthcare associations that people are making calling women solo mothers rather than single mothers all these types of things that you're you've experienced and you're thinking and it's 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 really admirable what you're doing and I'm I'm really interested in how this is how you feel this has changed you I think Probably similar to what any mum would think, I think my priorities have changed. So having a daughter puts other things into perspective. Um, So I think definitely, um, you know, not thinking work things are sort of the be all and end all. 
um, is one thing. I think um, just being astonished by people and how supportive people are and how how accepting people are of different scenarios and I was surprised I thought there'd be a lot more um you know I, I didn't think people would be as open and so um I've loved having the conversations and changing people's mindsets and um just those conversations I can have with and helping so many people um and I think I was already um, a planned and organised person, but it is just take this has taken it to the absolute extremes. But what I really, really believe, and this is the message that I'd just love to share with as many people as I can, is everything is possible. So if you want something, it might not look exactly how you thought it might be. It might not follow the exact path, but there is a way to make things work. You, if you speak to the right people, get the right help you can always make what you need to happen, happen. Um, as long as you're not set on it looking exactly like this, you know, you need to go on a journey. And I'm just really passionate. And I've seen so many examples where you and I, I really feel like I'm living proof of having it all. I just think, um, you know, some of it is luck, some of it is how I've managed to make it happen. Um, but I think it's really important that people know that and we can put things in place to get there. Well, with that thought, so you're talking to lots of different women in different scenarios at different stages of the thought process. They're either adamant they're going to do it or they're just looking into how they do it. And obviously cost is a factor mm -hmm. if you're going to have to pay for treatment because there isn't really much eligibility, is there, with solo mums to have access to funding for fertility treatment, or is there? So, um, no, my 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 understanding is that um, you know this has to be funded privately because you haven't got fertility problems. Your fertility problem is that there is no sperm. <laughs> You've not got access to the sperm. Um, my understanding is that um, there is a, a route if you try yourself. Um, down the IUI route um, and are unsuccessful a certain number of times that you may then get some access to funding. I think it depends what country you're in and what part of the UK you're in if you're in the UK. Uh, but no, primarily it needs to be funded yourself. And what um, I speak to women about is the different options that they have. Um, there's, there's, you know, different clinics. Do they want to go abroad? What treatment? What package? Have you got a known donor? Do you have to pay for a donor? There's so many different options. Um, it's quite overwhelming for people when they're first starting the journey to try to understand all those options. But there's lots of information available and lots of people to talk to who've already done it. So um, people are, are, are getting more and more informed about what options they've got now. And just finally, because we've talked about um, we've talked about what you've just described in this series with regards to the options from the donor point of view, um, we've talked about the kind of support element. I'm interested in the telling to, da to Daisy of her story, how you feel about that, whether it's already a part of what you talk about. Obviously, she's so little, but whether it's something that you're, you're fearful of, how you're putting those um, those factors in, in place for when it is the right time and the people that are around her, what that story is and how it's going to pan out. 
So, so it actually for me, I'm not fearful of it. What I am doing is I'm doing a lot of research on it. So I'm speaking to people who've already had the conversations, speaking to um, donor conceived adults about how they um, found the process. I've been on webinars, I've read books. So I'm really educating myself on the best way to do it. Um, I, I feel like I've already started. So um, I, whilst Daisy's young, it's around who's her family. We've got a soft book that says, this is mummy, this is granny, this is uncle Dan, like th this is your family. That will move on to um, trying to explain diversity to a very small person. But I think that's super easy to do. You know, you can talk about all the different makeups of families. Um, again, I think it comes down to mindset. I This is nothing to be ashamed of. I'm very proud of this and that will also come across to Daisy so she'll never think it's anything that's a problem because of the way I'll talk to her about it um, but I'm very realistic that that becomes more challenging when you start going to school and other people start asking and that's when I will need to equip Daisy with her own way of sharing her story um, and we will just have honest and open conversations to make sure she feels equipped with the information so she can share her story and I think now people are in so many different situations there is no normal and everyone you know is has got their own situations and you know I hope that Daisy will be confident to be able to share that with her friends and it won't be an issue at all. I wonder if at the school gates it's more unusual that there's just the dad than just the mum you know whether the dad would be more likely to or the child of with just the dad would be asked more questions yeah than, than... It, it's, it's interesting and I think it depends what your normal is as yeah. well so um depending on your circumstances you, you 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 know you may very well think it's unusual for people to have a mum and a dad if that's not what you've grown up with so um yeah, I think, you know, in the years to come, there'll be so many different scenarios. Yeah. Um, I, I hope and I think children will just accept all the different scenarios that they're, that they're presented with. Well, I think it's testament to the fact that telling is definitely better than not telling. Exactly. However you choose to tell and what you choose to tell is part of what you've got to work out. But just to not tell is not really yeah. the solution. Everything I have learned from all the research is don't surprise people. Mm. If they've known something all throughout their lives, they are easily able to deal with it. If they get a shock and yeah. suddenly learn something later on, that's where problems start occurring. That That's all of the research that I've read very, very clearly tells you, just be honest. And how you tell them, I went on a very interesting webinar which says you can sort of go down more of a fairy tale route or you can go more of a factual route and that depends on you and your child and what works best for you and the thing that I've learned is every child is different so you've got to do what you think the child will respond best to and you've got to remember it's their story not your story yeah. so I've had my story that's how we got here but now this is Daisy's story and she needs to help me define you know know how she wants to tell that as well as she gets older it's so a, lo it's a lovely approach it's a really lovely kind of combined as it should be yeah combined shared way forward exactly so, yeah. thank you it's really lovely chatting to you again so all the details for becky and for mel will be in the show notes of this episode which are the fertilitypodcast.com forward slash defining motherhood now becky had referred to her insta live series with jana rupno starting tomorrow the 19th of march if you're listening in real time it's actually happening on wednesday becky let me know 
So again, check out her Insta for details of that. Mel's details will be on the show notes as well. As well as a link to the Fertility Show where I'm going to be this coming Saturday and Sunday in Manchester. So once you've checked out the show notes um, and had a look around any previous episodes and maybe um, give me a little rate and review if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Oh, where's that aeroplane going? Wouldn't you love to be on an aeroplane right now? So yeah, be sure to subscribe. Thank you as always for your support. And until the next time...